Take your candle and go light your world. Wow. If you don't hear anything the rest of the morning, just remember that and it'll be a great sermon. Well, if you're in your life group Sunday school class, you had the Thursday in the Sunday school life group pool of when the pastor would start losing his hair, you win. So it was on day 16 after treatments that uh, I noticed that a little hair started falling out. And so we are underway. And again, I just wanted to remind you and say thank you so much for your prayers and support as I take this journey of chemo. My second treatment is this Tuesday. So uh, you can be praying for me as I get through this, uh, this next series of treatments and the side effects of that in this journey and battle to defeat the cancer in my life. And I have been blessed as I've heard the stories from those that are on a similar journey or have completed this journey in the battle, battles that you fought physically. And that brings great encouragement to me. And so I want to say thank you for that. How would you describe the Christian life? If you could just take a few words here or there, what would be those words that would, would come to mind? Grace-filled. Unconditional love. Well, I see the Christian life as a great adventure. Maybe you'd say, well, I have found that in the Christian life, I have, have engaged in some of the most meaningful relationships and community that I've ever found. Maybe you would simply say, as Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount, the Christian life is blessed. Happy are those, blessed are those. But there may be some others that would have some different words to describe the Christian life. Maybe those outside of the church, as they would look in at Christians, and maybe they would say, well, the Christian life to me looks pretty boring. Looks pretty depressing to me. A lot of the Christians I know just look like they're depressed all the time. They can't do anything. They can't have any fun. You know, the Christian life has just got too many rules. How would you define and describe the Christian life? You see, too often Christians dress and live like mourners headed to a funeral. Instead of like a bride and groom headed to a wedding. Robert Louis Stevenson, that famous 19th century poet and novelist, said this, I have been to church today and I am not depressed. How many come to church and leave feeling like they are now depressed? But church, this is not the life that Christ calls us to. Let me share with you a, a Roman proverb. In my Latin, is there's no such thing as my Latin. I never took a Latin course. But here's a Latin phrase that I want us to learn today. Nil utilius sole et sale. What that means is that there is nothing more useful than sun, and salt. And for me, that forever ends the argument about whether you go to the beach or to the mountains, right? Because at the beach, you find salt and sun. You see, for the Romans, 
in that great Roman Empire thousands of years ago, there was nothing more necessary, there was nothing more useful, there was nothing more needed than sun and salt. Sun and salt, light and salt were critical to a meaningful and rich life in that time. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 starts the Sermon on the Mount. And it's fascinating here that, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus begins to describe and characterize the Christian life. He says, blessed, he says, happy are those who are poor in spirit. They'll receive the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. And for the gentle, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful. They'll receive mercy. And he continues on. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed, happy, filled with joy are those that, that embrace and pursue this life of Christ. And notice what happens when he gets to verse 13. As, as we continue to move on to this blessed Christian life, Jesus says this. He says, you, you who are the blessed... You who have found meaning and the richness of life in me, you are salt. And you are light. To those Jewish people that gather to listen to Jesus, just as everyone knew in that time, everyone of the Roman Empire, everyone who lived in the civilization of that time understood that they could not live and have a quality of life without salt and without light, without the sun. Jesus Christ is proclaiming to those who follow after him, you are salt and you are light in this world. In other words, what Jesus is saying, there is nothing more necessary to life in this world than the one who follows after me. Because you provide what is necessary in this world. You provide salt and light to those who live and exist today. And as we've been studying parables, we're going to just look at these two very brief very short parables that Jesus offers. The first, look in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It, this salt that becomes tasteless, is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. The Romans also had a, another saying, there is nothing purer than salt. Now, obviously, the chemical structure and understanding of salt, salt is salt, right? But as that salt would be refined in mind, especially as it would come out of the Dead Sea, it would be impure. And after, uh, after being used for a period of time, it, because it was impure, it could become diluted to the point where it was tasteless, where it lost its taste, it lost its effectiveness. But the Romans knew the value and the importance of pure salt. Church, 
one of the characteristics of our world today, especially of the culture in which we live in, is the lowering of standards. The lowering of moral standards that seem to be just day by day by day. The moral standards, the ethical commitments and standards of our culture, of the people that we engage with in the world, continue to seem to go lower and lower. Yet for the Christian, the bar of life remains true. The standard for the Christian, the Christ follower, is purity. The standard for the Christ follower is holiness. Purity of speech, purity of conduct, purity of thought. When we as Christians lower the bar to match the world in which we live, our salt becomes tasteless. And then it is good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled upon as a path. We had 35, I believe, that went to Falls Creek this week. Our middle school kids, one of the the passages, one of the verses that's so key to to teach our children and our grandchildren comes out of 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. It says this, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Show yourself, teenager, college student, middle school youth, Show yourself the example. Be the example to us of purity in your language, in your conduct, in your faith, in your love, and the purity with which you lose your life, use your life. It's interesting that salt has at least two uses. First of all, salt makes food tastier. Food comes out of of, of the kitchen, out of the oven, a little bland. You you sprinkle a little salt on it so that it becomes tastier. Now, did you catch that? You put a little salt on the corn. You put a little salt on the the beef so that it what? So that it, it tastes more like beef. It tastes more like corn. It tastes more like... You don't put salt on something so that it tastes more like salt. Right? Have you thought about that on a spiritual level? Our role as the salt of the earth is to enrich and purify life in such a way that it tastes more like what God intended life to be. Isn't that a beautiful and powerful picture? That you, your presence, your integration into your family, into your community, into your workplace, your school, your integration into that place means that the life and the community which you are around should look more and more like life as God intended. Your presence means that love should grow, not indifference. Your presence means that the life around you should be more characterized by kindness than by violence. Your presence in the community and the places in which you work and live should be more characterized by joy than bitterness because you are salt. The people around you should experience hope more than despair, faith more than cynicism, 
because you are salt and your present makes presence makes life more as God intended it to be. But salt also preserves. Salt preserves the spread of corruption. Now, certainly only God can cure corruption. Only God can can ultimately redeem. But as Christians, we are to be present in the world in such a way that corruption, perversion, sin doesn't spread in those areas in which we are. Someone once complained, I'm the only Christian in my workplace. I'm the only Christian in my family. I'm the only Christian in my neighborhood. Gosh, I don't know what to do. Be salt. And your presence should offer a preserving effect that stops the corruption of a sinful world wherever you are at. You see, in a world without refrigeration, meat spoils without salt. And in a world without the salt of Christians, the kingdoms, the neighborhoods, and the families of this world will likewise rot and spoil. You are the salt of the world. And Jesus continues in verse 14, You're not only the salt of the world, but you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Therefore, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven." We talked about parables as being a mirror into our heart and into our lives. Let us receive this parable as saying that we, we are the light of the world and that our light is to shine into the world around us. Now we have those that are much more intelligent. We have those that are, are much more studied in the dynamics and the science of light. But, but how could we just briefly define light? How could we briefly understand light? We are the light of the world if we're in Christ. Someone simply defined light as radiant energy. Others have attempted to describe light by its function. Light is the agent by which objects are made visible. For the purpose of our time together today, let's look at this as a kind of a compilation of those meetings. Light is that which brings energy, power, strength, and reveals the true meaning, shape, and form of all things. Did you catch that? Light does not draw attention to itself. Light does not desire to be looked at. If you go outside on a bright sunny day and and you stare at the sun, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to go blind. You're not going to be able to see light anymore, right? But if you go outside on that beautiful day and you see all of the things that that sun illuminates, You see the beauty and the power and the purpose of that light and of that sun. Light shines into the darkness, enabling others to be seen 
Enabling that which is in life to be identified. You see, in a a sense, light acts as a guide. Light points us down the pathway of life. Light does not draw attention to self. It illuminates the world in which we live. And Jesus offers two pictures of what, what true light does. First of all, light is like a city on a hill. I can't help but believe that, that Jesus is drawing us to the, the coming together of His body. The coming together of what we would call the church, the, the people of God. A community of believers who illuminate and provide light in the distance. Light for a community, light for a state, light for a nation. You see, the world is looking for a light so that they can leave the darkness of the world. And the city on the hill is that beautiful light for those that are passing by, for those in the distance to see the light and to know that if they can just get there, they can find security, they can find protection, they can find light to see out of the darkness. We as the body of Christ, we as First Baptist, are to be a city on the hill here in Norman, Oklahoma. Casting our light across the city. And as moths, moths are drawn to light, those who are hurting, those who are lost, those who are struggling in the darkness can see the glow of the light from this place and know that if they can just get here, they can find help, they can find salvation, they can find forgiveness and grace. This, this last week on a Tuesday, I was walking out late for lunch. A gentleman showed up and he had on shorts and a pair of shoes and that was it. He told me his story. Basically, he'd been kicked out of his house. He had his shorts and his shoes. He said, I knew if I came here that I could get some clothes and I could get some food. I knew if I came here. You see, the light of First Baptist shines. It shines in different corridors and places in our community. And those who need help, those who need refuge, those who need to find safety know that they can come and they can receive that in this place. But how many more have yet to see the light, the city on the hill that First Baptist is in our community because the darkness is so dark where they live. Oh, that our light as a church would continue to grow and continue To light this city. One of the beautiful experiences of worship in our church is our Christmas Eve service when uh, we, we turn the lights out very low. And off the Christ candle, we begin to pass the light of Christ. And you begin to watch as the light of Christ begins to flow back up to the back of the balcony. As we sing. As we worship. It's a beautiful symbol. It's a beautiful picture of of the light of Christ from this place shining into this community. But there's a warning, church. You know what we do after this beautiful sanctuary is lit? We blow out our candle and we go home. And too often that's what happens 
to, to this church and the churches in our community, the churches in our, in our country, is we gather in our churches where no one can see us and we light our candles and we light them for each other to see and then we blow them out and we go home. When Jesus says, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill, he means that our light shines brightly into our community. And that that light is not just for our benefit and for our advantages. No, the light of Christ that shines forth from this place is for the lost. It's for those that are still in the darkness. And let us never forget that we are a city on a hill so that all may see the light of Christ shining from us. Jesus continues in this beautiful parable and he says, you're not just a city on a hill. You are a lampstand. You are a lampstand individually, illuminating your home, illuminating your work, illuminating your school in your neighborhood. This is the Christian who is willing to take a stand at home or at work, who's unwilling to be part of the darkness of the world. When you show up at the office, you don't blow out your candle. You keep it lit and bright so that all can see. The lampstand, the, the Christian who's the lampstand, is that one who has the courage not to hide their light, but allows their light, as we just heard and as we just sung, to shine into the darkness so that the timid, the weak, the hurting, and those in danger may find the courage to come and to stand and to seek out that light. There's the story of a, a captain, captain of a ship who, it was, a, it was one of those dark nights, and not only was it a dark night, it was a, it was a foggy night, and, and they could just barely see as they were moving forward in their ship. And yet off in the distance and off in the horizon, they saw, they saw some lights. And concerned that they might have this great collision, the, the captain of this ship told his signalman to send out the message, Alter your course 10 degrees to the south. Within minutes, within seconds. The response came back. Alter your course 10 degrees to the north. The captain of this ship was furious. He told his signalman to signal back. Alter your course 10 degrees to the south. I am the captain of this ship. In just a few seconds, the response came back. Alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I'm a seaman third class. The captain was furious. He told his signalman to signal back. Alter your course 10 degrees to the south. I am a battleship. Quickly the response came back. Alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I am a lighthouse. <laughs> In the midst of dark and foggy times, there are all sorts of voices that are shouting into our world and into our lives, orders into the darkness. But out of the darkness, 
We are to let our light shine. Shine into the path of others so that they may see the obstacles, so that they may see the dangers around them, so that they may see the path to life, to grace. Church, we, church, you are the light of the world. And look at verse 16. Well, how does that light shine? That light shines through our good works. We are a city on a hill. You know how our light shines as a church? Our light shines by the good deeds that we do in this community. I shared one earlier. This week, it was such a joy to watch our pre-K kids at fish camp, fun and serving him, learning what it meant to serve each other. They made toiletry kits for our, our pantry. They made little gift kits for their, their postmen, their, their trashmen, so that they could, could greet them and give them a gift, so that they could do good deeds and good works. They brought ice cream to the staff on Thursday. That was wonderful. <laughs> Roy, Joe, and Robbie shared about the group going down to, uh, to Houston into Corpus to shine the light of Christ, to do good deeds. Our youth are going to Peru this week to let the light of Christ shine through good deeds that they'll do with, with the children in the Koyike area, slum area. Church, we are called to do good deeds. Our Sunday supper, our clothes closet, our food pantry offer good deeds, offer light to those in our community. When you visit someone who is alone, when you go and see someone who is in the hospital, when you go next door to check on your neighbor, you let the light of Christ shine in that good deed. When you prepare or provide a meal for someone, the light of Christ shines through you in a glorious and powerful way. You see, good deeds are the way that the light of Christ shines in and through us but this word for good in the text is, is different. It's more than just, oh, that was a good thing. This word of good is, is a deeper quality of good. It, it's, a, it's a type of good that attracts because of itself. It's a type of good that's beautiful in and of itself. These are good deeds. These are good works that point beyond themselves. And in verse 16, we see where those deeds are to point. They're to point to God the Father. Our good deeds are to be deeds that bring glory to Him. Allow me to define that word, bring glory to God. Our good deeds are deeds that are supposed to shine the light, to shine the light of Christ that's in us, that are to shine the light of Christ on God the Father. So as we are the light and call to do good deeds, the focus of those good deeds are to be so beautiful that that light just shines right on through to God the Father. And God the Father receives the glory through our good deeds. This is what Jesus means when we're the light of the world. If you have your scripture, look over to chapter 6, verse 1. There's, there's someone might say, well, there's a contradiction in scripture. Let me, let me share with you why there's not. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. In this chapter 5, Jesus is saying, go and do your, do your good deeds. Let the light shine. 
Do your good deeds so that all can see the light of your good deeds. And here it says, well, well, don't do that. Don't do your good deeds for everyone to see. What's the difference? The difference is on where the light shines, right? Jesus is saying, when your deeds shine the light on God, they bring glory to Him. And that's the kind of good works and those are the kind of deeds that we're to be committed to and to offer on a regular, consistent basis. But in chapter 6, verse 1, when those deeds tempt to reflect the light back on you, when you attempt to do good deeds of righteousness that brings glory to yourself, this is where we have the problem. So Jesus is saying, let your good deeds be so beautiful and so attractive that they shine the light of those good deeds upon God the Father. Wow. What a beautiful picture. Jesus declares, you are the salt of the world. You are the light of the world. But where does this light come from? In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says this. He says, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You are the light of the world because I'm putting my life into your life. You see, Jesus reveals to us that he is the light. He is the true light of the world The light of Christ is an energy, it's a power, it's a dunamis, it's a dynamite that delivers and cleanses us from evil. It's a a power, a dynamite, It's, it's an energy that removes and releases us from the darkness of this life. His revealing truth, His revealing light illuminates life as it should be lived. The light that He places in us is the life that He gives us to shine brightly for the glory of God. Church, you are the light of the world. Will you live as such? Will you live as light? Will you live as salt? Or will you get in your car this afternoon, this morning actually, And will you say, you know, I've been to church today, and I'm just glad I'm not depressed. No. May each of us say, I've been to church today, and I've discovered that I am salt, and I am light. And from this day forward, with the light of Christ in me and shining through me, I commit to living as such. I am salt. I am light. May my life be the instrument of change in my family, my friends, my neighborhood, my workplace, and my world. May God give us His grace and His strength, His dunamis to be light and salt. Let's pray.